Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Edge of Innovation. A quick word before we get going. Would you please head over to iTunes and leave a review and rating for the podcast? It would really help us connect with people who are interested in technology and business and the future of innovation. It would really help us out. Thanks. This is the Edge of Innovation, hacking the future of business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Today on the Edge of Innovation, we are going to be talking about what does it mean to be anonymous? What does it mean to be anonymous without an identity in the digital age? And Paul is going to be helping us think through what that means and what it is. Paul, can you talk us through what does it mean to be anonymous? Sure. You know, if we look at the definition, I didn't look it up before this, but, you know, it has different meanings to different people. You know, all it's similar in the way that somebody says, well, I want a secure server, or I want a secure system, or I want my stuff to be secure. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? Because security has a different meaning to everybody as well. You know, there's towns in America that feel that they're secure and they leave their doors open. They don't even have locks on them. Mm-hmm. So they're secure. So it's really a perception. So anonymous, you know, again, what does that mean? And if we take it to the extreme that somebody doesn't know who I am and can't figure that out, that may be true anonymity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you take a dollar bill and you go to a store and you buy something, forget about any technology around that, you're anonymous, there is really no way to know that you had this, that, that dollar bill with that serial number mm-hmm. on it. It does have a serial number, which is interesting. Why does it have a serial number and they're unique? You know, so it, it, it implies some scarcity from the government. Right. But you walk into a, a convenience store and take a dollar out and pay for a candy bar. There is no way through that dollar to track who you are. Very differently than if you take a credit card out and you buy a candy bar. Now, all of a sudden, I have, I know exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the credit card company does, Visa, American Express. They know that you were there at that day. They may even know the time. They don't really know what you bought, but you were there. Mm-hmm. If, if there was a robbery around on that day, one of the things that we could do is if we had electronic payments, and that's all we accepted, uh, somebody came in. Well, the robber probably wouldn't have used a credit card. Mm-hmm. You know, so think about this. How do you get anonymity? So let's let's take it this way. You go to the bank mm-hmm. and you ask for a dollar out of the ATM. And the bank carefully scans the number of that dollar and says, I am giving that to Jacob. And it has a photograph of you. So it right. does a face identification of you. And it knows that Jacob has that dollar. You then go to the grocery store or the the convenience store and you spend that dollar and while they don't take your name they they scan that dollar as it goes into the cash right. register and they get the serial number of that and they know that you bought a uh, milky way bar right so somebody with the wherewithal could hack the bank or the bank could freely give it up or the government could demand it we want all of the money that you gave out and all the serial numbers and who you gave them to And then they could go to all the stores and say, we want all of the money that you got in and what they bought with it. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit of a a silly example, but the fact of the matter is, is I could track the fact that Jacob got a dollar at one o'clock from an ATM. And then 
went to a store within, you know, a 10 minute time period, you know, so it's feasible. He didn't go to Los Angeles from Boston and spend right. money and spent that dollar with that serial number. And I could subpoena from the store the fact that what did he buy? And he bought a Milky Way bar. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a problem there in that you could claim that you gave the dollar away. Sure. Okay. Sure you could do that. Yeah. So, now, thankfully, as of right now, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. That's a, you know, it, it is a very good question. Do ATMs record the serial numbers of bills that they give out to people? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they? Because if it's an inventory problem, they would, they would sure. certainly want to know it. Uh, and it's trivial to do that. And then, now the stores certainly don't. You know, you don't see them scanning a dollar bill in that way. They just put it in the drawer. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is if, if I give you that, I could have some stickiness of that information and identify who got that dollar bill. So right. let's say you got the dollar bill at 1 p.m. and you gave it to Mr. Bad Guy at 2 p.m. And he went into the store and bought bullets with it and uh, committed a crime with that or bought a gun, let's say. So, well, something that isn't isn't tracked, you know. So he bought lighter fluid because he wanted to light a fire, do something right. bad, and he bought that. If we tracked those serial numbers, it would come back to you. So that's the problem in with with tracking currency. Mm-hmm. Now, Bitcoin makes it easy to track. Right. And you know, twenty five years ago, before the internet, mm-hmm. uh, before you know, Mr. Gore did the wonderful work he did for us in creating <laughs> the internet. You would, you know, kids, when I grew up, we'd go out to play mm-hmm. after school. We'd get home from school, and then we'd go out to play. And our parents really had no clue where we were, mm-hmm. and they had no way to reach us. Right. We were smart enough. We'd learned that we needed to be home for dinner, and we would be home for dinner. And usually we were within earshot of highly developed lungs of our mothers. Right. But nowadays... You know, and we were completely anonymous at that point. You know, we didn't have an ID. We, you know, we were... I mean, apart from a social security. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, but you didn't carry that around with you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if somebody were to see me, they might be able to identify me as a child and say, oh, that was Paul who was over there painting that graffiti. Right. But if they didn't get a good glimpse of me, there's really no way to know where I am. Yeah. Now let's introduce a cell phone. Cell phone companies know exactly where we are every mm-hmm. single minute of every day. Yeah. So, or more so, they know where your cell phone is Correct. every single moment of every day. I'm sitting here with an iPad next to me that has, it's on T-Mobile. T-Mobile knows where that iPad is. Right. So, just that that ripple of, inter, of interjection there yeah. changes the concept of anonymity hugely. Right. I mean, there is nothing called anonymity unless people close their eyes to the data. Uh-huh. So the data gets produced and recorded in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And we can go back and correlate all that data right? if we have access to it. Law enforcement can usually get a... Right, they can subpoena that information. Right, they can get legal access to it. Right. Now, there are people like me and others who have the technical ability to do it, but don't have the legal ability to do it. Right. Because I don't think a judge would give me uh, a warrant to search your data. Right. So, anonymity... Now, but but if, if I were a criminal, 
are willing to do something illegal, what's preventing me from correlating all of that information? Right. Well, first of all, it's a lot of work, you know, and it's got to be worth it. But if it's worth it, mm-hmm. I could go and find out where you used your credit cards. Right. And go and find out. Um, Create a profile of somebody from yeah. the information that's available. Yeah. Or, you know, just and, and do all sorts of things uh-huh. and really track what you're doing. And now you could sit there and claim, well, somebody else had my credit card that day and used it. Okay. But. You know, hopefully if we look look at a wide enough view of things, that's going to be saying, so you haven't had control of your credit card for the last six months, you know, right. and, and you look at people's behaviors and they are very normal. There are very few outliers. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't usually do something that's irrational. It, well, you are just outside an, an, an outlier, you know, right. outside of your norm. And, you know, I look at it, you know, when I'm traveling and, you know, I'm I'm in an airport, I go to this restaurant or this or, you know, and and I'm, it it would be interesting to draw that profile of that person. And somebody could look at that and say, hmm, Paul isn't behaving as he normally does when he travels. Right. Well, Uh, doesn't this relate to, we've talked previously about the whole concept of big data. Absolutely. Yeah. This is big data. I mean, big data is all of these little observances that can be correlated together. So we started out asking, what is anonymity? I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how could somebody become anonymous? Sure. So let's imagine you want to browse the internet anonymously. Well, you have a problem in that more than likely you have uh, internet service. And that internet service comes with an IP address. Mm-hmm. So when you sign up for Comcast or Verizon Fios or any of the different internet providers, you get an IP address that is assigned to your modem or router. Mm-hmm. Now that may change, but they log all of that. Right. So they know that on Tuesday, June 19th, you had IP address, you know, one one six seven dot five oh dot one two dot fourteen. And you can actually, I've been part of a subpoena where we subpoenaed those kind of things. We wanted to know, and there was legal precedent to do it. Right. So we said, give us all the IP addresses this house had over this period of time. Uh-huh. And uh, we got that list. And so, and that was a couple years ago. In other words, so it wasn't like I was asking it for, for last week's information. I was asking for a couple of years right, ago right. information. So now all of a sudden, I can go to websites that you might have gone to, let's say it was a, a bad political website. Okay. You know, that that seems reasonable to be concerned about. In other sure. words, you know, we're sort of dismissing free speech here at the moment. Sure. And so I go there and I look at their logs. Mm-hmm. I ask them for their logs or I hack them and get them. And I look for that IP address. Right. And I look at the date you had it. You had it on June 19th. And I see that that IP address accessed it on this date. Sure. So that's like the hardest way to do it. Now, what's interesting is that Verizon, Comcast can easily keep a list of every website you connect to. Mm -hmm. So they could see that there is nothing preventing them from keeping that information and say, oh, every day at six o'clock, Jacob comes home and opens up ESPN. Right. Because they they know it's so really what they could say is somebody in Jacob's household using his Internet is browsing ESPN at this time. Sure. Now, if it was, you know, how to buy illegal weapons Mm -hmm. or child pornography, 
that might be a thing where I could say, well, that's not good. We need to go and do something about that as a right. society and intervene. So, so then you say, okay, well, how do I prevent that? How do I actually go out and not allow the organizations to see what I'm doing? Right. And there's these things called proxy servers. Right. So a proxy server is somebody who is a server that browses on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So you would open up a web browser and configure your computer so that all of your traffic, although it goes out this pipeline to Verizon, let's uh-huh. use Verizon as the example, that information will go to Verizon and go out to the Internet. Mm-hmm. So you set up a virtual connection now right. that all the traffic that you have is going to go to this IP address that may be in Canada, maybe in Europe, who knows where. Right. And then it is going to go and browse on your behalf. So this vir- this uh, virtual connection, this IP address, is that like an actual computer effectively? Yeah, there is. There are computers that are called proxy servers. Oh, okay. So it's, you know, has its own operating system and you're basically like a hand in a puppet. Yes, very good example, yeah, or analogy. Um, so you now, when you browse into ESPN.com, they see you coming from that IP address. I see. Not from your Verizon IP address. I see. Now, Verizon, all Verizon knows is that you are connecting to this proxy server okay. or to this IP address in Europe somewhere. So you have traffic flowing there. It's encrypted, so they can't detect what's in there. Mm-hmm. So it's a literally sort of like a stream of water. That right. is in a armored pipe that is going between your computer and this computer in Europe. So ESPN then sees you coming in as now this European IP address. Interesting. And that can be a problem because they may say, well, we don't serve this information to Europeans. Right. Or the other way around. Well, I see that on YouTube. There will be occasionally videos that I want to watch. They're recommended by a friend. Go to see them. And your licensing doesn't allow you to see it in right. the United States. Right. A lot of people um, have for being able to view U.S. Netflix have been using proxy servers to get a, in Europe, to get a oh, yes, U.S. IP address. Right, yeah, I've heard of that, where they get, they've get got, I guess, more selection with the U.S. Yes. Netflix as opposed right. to their country. Yeah, I mean, the Downton Abbey was a good example. People in the U.S. Had to, wait, had to wait six months to watch Downton Abbey. If you bought Netflix in America and basically logged in via a proxy server in Europe, you would be able to see the Downton Abbey on Netflix in Europe. Oh, interesting. Or whatever, you know, PBS or whatever, or on the BBC itself. But if you browse to the BBC website and try to watch something from America, it'll say, sorry, you're outside of our coverage. Interesting. So you could do that. Now, they've all started to get more savvy at this, and they actually are seeing, well, wait a minute, we got a lot of traffic coming from this one IP address. That probably is a proxy because a lot of people are trying to go through it. I see. So, and the proxy people are fighting that. But we're talking about how to be anonymous. Right. So, a proxy server can help you be anonymous. And it is one way to do it. And Mm -hmm. there's also this thing called the Onion Router or the Tor Network. Yes. I've seen you uh, list some articles along those lines. And basically what it is is it's it's a web of servers that pass your information around to multiple nodes so that it is difficult to unscramble all of that. So rather than sending it to a proxy server, I send it to a Tor node that's near me. It sends it to another Tor node, to another one, 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 and then it finally goes out to the destination. 
Oh, interesting. So it's not it's not breaking up one point of information into six points and then to your destination. It's just rerouting it six or seven times. Yes, before exactly. It gets there. Yeah, like onions, it's different layers, peeling back an onion, and so that can be helpful. Um, but the problem is is that there's things that go on. So, for example, here's the problem. If you want ESPN to, you don't want ESPN to know who you are. Mm-hmm. So you go and get a proxy server, and you use the proxy server, and you go to ESPN, and you do that religiously. One day you forget to turn on your proxy server, and you go to ESPN. Well, if ESPN's smart, and they they could be, I don't know if they care, but let's say if we were really smart and, right. and clever here, they're not just tracking you by your IP address. They're fingerprinting you. Okay. And fingerprinting goes down to the level of what browser you're using, what fonts you have installed, uh, what version of your operating system, on and on and on. And all of those attributes sure. give you a fingerprint. So now I can take that fingerprint and I can see wherever it comes in. I see it coming in off of this, this uh, IP address in Europe. Okay, that's our friend, you know, whatever, we'll call him George, sure. uh, just as an anonymous name. We don't know who it is. Now, all of a sudden, I get a hit from you coming in with that same fingerprint, same browser, everything, from a Verizon account mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. Interesting, yeah. Okay, yep. so now, all right, that's no big deal. So they've got one hit from Massachusetts and one, you know, 100 hits from Europe. Right. But now if some of those sites start to share information... And uh, Amazon, let's say, they have that same fingerprint. Mm-hmm. And Google has that same fingerprint. And ABC.com has that same fingerprint. They can now start to say, well, hey, do you have anything for this fingerprint? And they can correlate that. Interesting. And know that, gee, uh, Google says, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's Jacob because he's logged in. Right. <laughs> and, or it's somebody using Jacob's computer. Right. And he's logged in, so I know who Jacob is, or Amazon is even better because you've given a credit card. And right, right. You've had years of act- activity with them, and they know you from this IP address and this fingerprint. So you have all that information, and we can correlate it and say, well, he's trying to be anonymous here, but because of his fingerprint, we know ESPN knows that who it is. Right. Now, you might not think, I mean, it's hard to get anybody to work together. So it's probably unlikely that Amazon and ESPN are sharing that type of Well, that was my question as to whether there's actually proof that they're doing that. I mean, I understand it's theoretically true. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a good business practice for them to do it. Right. Okay? So that's the case. But now we have this thing called ads, and we have web bugs. Mm-hmm. And there's many of those. Uh, there's one thing called Google Analytics, which gives Google all of your browsing habits for every website you you browse that has Google Analytics on it. Right. So they sell that as a benefit to the to the webmaster, mm-hmm. to the person hosting a website to say, "Hey, you can get who viewed your page, how long it was, how long they were there, etc." So you can get all of this information, but you're effectively giving Google the demographics of the people and when they use your site and why they use it. Right. Now, there's that's Google. There's a company called AdThis, mm-hmm. which is a social sharing and bookmarking applet that you can put in your web page. So you can add that so somebody can like it on Twitter or Facebook and right. tweet it and do all those different things with, with very little work. Mm-hmm. Well, putting that bug on there gives them a flow of information 
I knew the CTO of, of Add This, and I was talking to him, this is probably five or six years ago, and I said, are you actually profiling the pages that people are liking? Uh-huh. And at the point, they weren't. But I know that they're starting to do that. So they're doing using nat- natural language processing to see that you browsed. You didn't have to tweet it. You didn't have to do anything. You just browsed because their, their bug was being loaded on the page. Uh, and you browsed a page on boats. Right. So now all of a sudden, they can take that and say, gee, Paul is browsing boat sites. By the way, I don't like boats. I have no reuse for them. Being out we, in the ocean we're without clarifying shit. this, yeah, just you clarifying this. It, yeah, I, I, this before I do. And... Yeah, there is no shade on the ocean. <laughs> it is not a good thing. So they can then sell that back to boat manufacturers and say, "Hey, Paul's interested in boats. Do you want to sell him mm-hmm. boat?" Uh, ads. Do you want to show him boat right. ads? Now they don't do it and say Paul, but they say, "Let's sell it to Amazon." And you know, you, I've used a stereo example. You are browsing stereos on one site. Yeah. You've used these plugins. You might have gone to a personal blog of somebody that talks about the best stereo for home theater for 2015 and 16, and you read that. Add this is on the site. They know that you read an article about home theater stereos. Magically. Ads will start showing up from Amazon or Crutchfield saying that, hey, you're interested in the home, home theater stereo. So is that anonymous? Well, it's anonymous in the way they're using it, and they would claim that, that they're using anonymized data. Right. We don't know who it is that it's Jacob or Paul browsing. Right. We just know that this person's fingerprint wants to see boat information. Sure. But you can see that it's one click of the dial to say that that's Jacob. Right. And, you know, so if it were illegal to think about boats, um, you could see how a totalitarian regime could sure. use that and say, you're, we're going to yeah. find you and hunt you down and change your behavior. Sure. Now, forgive my ignorance on this. Um, let's say, for example, uh, in a company, let's there's a company of 50 people or something mm-hmm. like that, um, and there was somebody who was using their company computer to do, you know, nefarious things or whatever... Would uh, would they be able to be subpoenaed in such ways to find out that it was that specific person, or would the whole company be implicated by that person's activities? Sure. Well, the company would be implicated to the extent that they are providing the service, right. and they are responsible for the use of that service. Now, whether they have or do not have tracking internally okay. would be difficult to know. In other words, do I know what web pages you browsed before this. Right. Well, technology could have been implemented to to track that. Mm-hmm. I don't have it in this company. So uh, it could be, the government could be come back and say, well, I'm culpable as the, as the company. Right. Because I should have been controlling access to the internet sure. if you did something illegal. Uh, the technology, though, certainly exists to track that. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, let's say I didn't, and... You know, Google has great fingerprinting technology, great comprehensive, you know, whatever you want to say, right. insidious. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> the technology is amazing. Whether it's good or not is another question. But they could come in and say, um, well, let's have all of your 50 machines try and uh, browse to this test page 
they could identify which machine did it. I now, see. I don't know who's sitting at that machine when they did it. Right. Unless, I mean, you know, you could be at your machine, you're logged into Google, uh, so you're you're on Google, you go out to lunch, I sit down at your machine. Sure. You know, so that's plausible. Right. The same thing with Wi-Fi is if you keep your uh, Wi-Fi secure, that pr- presents a threshold to somebody from using it. But let's say they break in and use it. So they go off and they browse some illegal sites. Mm-hmm. And the government finds out that you your, your uh, internet service provider reports that you have browsed illegal sites. And you come back and you say, well, I didn't do it. So, all right, well, who else uses the computer in the household? All right, so we talk to your family. And somebody in this household did it. Well, it's hard to then say, well, we have an encrypted Wi-Fi. Yeah. And we have a password. But I've given it to my neighbor, so he uses it. Or she uses it. Hmm. It could have been them. If you have open Wi-Fi, well, it could be anybody that used it. Right. So it's a very interesting thing, you know, where you would think, oh, I want to secure my network. Well, the minute you secure your network, it becomes exclusive. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to point back to you as the right. one who did something. Sure. But, you know, you could easily say, no, it was my three-year-old boy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> throw him right under the bus, you know. <laughs> um, and he didn't know better, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, Sorry, and that might, that might not be believable. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, well, he's not really up at three o'clock in the morning. Right, right. You know? He does like looking at grenade launchers. That's right, exactly. <laughs> he does, and most little boys do, you yeah. know, so. So I have pondered, okay, how do you become anonymous? Sure. All right. One of the things that has been a prerequisite is to have a phone nowadays. You have to have a phone mm-hmm. in order to receive a text message or a phone call, which is proof of who you are, a validation of who you are. Hey guys, thanks for listening to The Edge of Innovation. I hope it's helping you hack the future of business. If you could head over to iTunes, it would be really helpful if you could leave us a rating and review. It would help us connect with other people who are interested just like you in hacking the future of business. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.